I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's 1999. Podcast like it. You want a podcast like it? Podcast like it's 1999. Podcast like it's 1999. Podcast like it. You want a podcast like it? 1999. Hello and welcome to podcast like it's 1999, the podcast where we talk about the movies of the 1999 from under the stairs here in 2018. I am one of your hosts, Kenny Nybart. And I'm Phil Isco. And today we're doing the very spooky. <laughs> it's not that spooky. Not spooky. Yeah. We're doing the very successful, yeah. spookily successful sixth sense. Here's what I'll say though, if, just to start on the on the spookiness of it. Sure. This movie's actually the perfect amount of scary. And I say that because I'm a, a huge wuss. That's, a, I, that's I, a fair point. And I, I really don't like scary movies for the most part. Um, I don't go and see horror movies in the theater. Uh, and this is the perfect amount of scary for this movie to make the amount of money that it makes. And I it's, would, it's good for horror movie people, and it's good for people that don't like horror movies. So uh, I would say it didn't even occur to me watching it in the theater when I was 17 that this was a, that this was a horror movie. Sure, it's a thriller-ish. It's a gothic horror movie. It's like a modern gothic horror. It's not, to me, it's not a scary movie. I don't care about that at all. That's not why I watch it. That's not why I like it. But the, the, there's nothing scary about it. Well, but it's scary in a Spielbergian sense of being scary. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's scary in the... Uh, <laughs> Again, in, in the most accessible way possible. Yeah. And that's why it's not maybe the the most sort of – I'm sure that in the in the uh, pantheon of horror movies, if you were to talk to horror aficionados, I don't know where this would rank in that. Um, I don't even but, think it would – I don't even think it would register. Um, I don't – like I don't – 
I don't think this movie, I mean, we're doing it on Halloween because we've already done Blair Witch and we're not going to do The Haunting. Or, or Stigmata. Or Stigmata, which is like some weird other Stir thing. Echoes, the movie that got fucking killed we, by this movie. We may do Stir of Echoes at some uh, point. today. We Maybe we'll just <laughs> back to back it. But it, seen Stir it is a prominent kind of spooky, moody, uh, kind of more, more, more goosebumps inducing. Yeah kind of thing it's got some it's got a couple good scares and it's a ghost story yeah and ultimately it's a ghost story yeah. and it does seem appropriate for halloween um it is also it was an interesting re- rewatch because it's um it's one of my favorite movies of the year it's one of my favorite movies of all time it is also uh not nearly as great as many of the other movies you've done this year so uh, yeah, let's, I mean, I'll, that's how I'll put it, and and I have a very specific yeah, kind of reason. I mean, we, we do need to sort of unpack a little bit of the, and we're we're also we're gonna do our top five twist endings. I have eleven. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Kenny said, "Pick five. I have eleven, and I also have like at least four, <laughs> at least four that I want to discuss that I hate. Well, we also need to, and this is, I mean, I don't mean to have a to start this with a semantic. Discussion, but reveal versus twist are two different things. When we get there, actually, yeah. we can talk about it in the context of this movie. This movie is obviously super famous for its twist ending, right. and the twist ending, in my opinion, is why this movie was so successful co- commercially sure. and why it was so success- su- successful yeah. uh, creatively. Um, the twist ending yeah. is very simple to me. It has to be something that has been hiding in plain sight all movie. I like that. Um, That's a and, good, and if good you think about defining it, if you think about the twist endings you've probably put on your list, yes, they're all things that were that were. Oh, I think if I had noticed A, B, and C, right. I could have figured out D. Whereas, right. like some reveals, like well, like for instance, I, I was watching this with uh, my roommate Mel last night, and I said to her, "Is Empire Strikes Back a twist ending?" And she's like, "No, that's a reveal." It's a twist ending. It's also my number one twist ending. So we'll give that away. Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do no, that. No, it's okay. You really thought that's a twist? Yeah. I think that's a reveal. It's hiding in plain sight. Is it? I think so. I think I that's... Don't, in the same way that this... I don't... I'm, I'm, I mean, again, I don't know if we're... Empire is an interesting case. Uh, it's, I, I think Empire is, is... It's interesting. I think it's the best twist. And, and, and Let's get into twists. <laughs> Because this twist, because this is this is more or less what I've grappled with in terms of how high, how highly I I regard this movie. Yeah. Basically, this is a movie without subtext. Everything yeah. is on yeah. the surface, and it's almost it's almost impossible. There's a little bit of subtext in the relationship between Tony Collette and 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 Haley Joel Osment, but I mean, I, I it's hear almost you. all it's it's pretty it's bald. almost it's all spoken. Yes. If you said what what is this movie about on a deeper level, it it's not about anything on a deeper level. It's about very deep things, but they are all explicit within the movie. It's about child development. It's about trauma. It's about torture. It's about it's mm-hmm. about coming to grips with your past. It's about. Uh, it's about writing your wrongs, but all that stuff is is right there on the surface. There, I think it's embracing your 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 gifts too. If there's if there is a little bit of subtext, again, I'm not I'm not. I, I, I just mean in terms the, of the Haley Joel Osment of his of his 
of his gift, if you will. Yeah. And it's it's kind of a little bit of like let your freak flag fly a little. You know what I mean? A little. But I agree with you. Most of it, ninety nine percent of it, is is you know. So if we could more or less agree that if we could more or less agree that that's the case. Yeah. This movie does live and die by the text, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. By the magic trick of the movie, and the magic trick of the movie is flawless. Yeah, it's masterful. It's masterful. I agree. So in that sense, it's a perfect middle brow movie. Yes. Um, and there's nothing wrong with middle brow. I don't use that term derisively. Yeah. It's a perfect middle brow movie. Um, but the best middle brow movie of all time is like this or Shawshank, frankly. Um, one of those kind of big movies. Yeah. It's just not going to be the same as The Godfather. It's not going to be the same as... A lot of movies did th- we're doing this year. Yeah. You're being John Malkovich's or your elections or or even, you know, I would argue movies have done like Any Given Sunday yeah. or even Draft Dead Gorgeous. So yeah. like – No, I, I agree with all of that. I mean I think that – I guess my biggest issue with this movie and it's and it's an, a slightly unfair issue. So, you know, and it does connect to the twist, which is that the movie can never be as powerful as it was the first time you saw it. And you watch it through a different lens every time once you know the twist. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like the film can never sort of stand on its own two feet in the way that it did that first time you saw it. And that's an unfair criticism because, quite frankly, most movies can't. You know what I mean? Like most movies hit you the first time either more potently than, than the, the, the times you watch it afterwards. That being said, this movie is incredibly well made. This movie is incredibly confident in a way that is – Sort of shocking. Yeah. Because it's from the jump, basically, rubbing your face in the twist. I agree with that. So much so that, you know, in some of the research I did, they did a test screening of it. And when he says, I see dead people, it cuts to literally a close-up of of Bruce Willis's face. Mm -hmm. And Frank Marshall, one of the producers, was like, you can't do that, man. Like, they're going to put it together. And then at a test screening, they didn't. And it just goes to show that... Once he has his hooks in you, and again, this is the confidence of the filmmaking, that he's like, I've got you, and I know that I'm going to have you until the final moments of the movie. But to that point, even the beginning, you know, when he gets shot, Mm -hmm. and then it does a time jump a year later, no one talks about his injuries, you don't question it for a fucking second. It's it's, It's crazy. This is what Knight is a master of, and this is... One of the only movies I can point to that uh, that understands this as well as any movie, better than any movie. He is a master of audience expectations and subverting them. So he, the, we 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 def- we don't think we. Agree well, I'll on, give on you. I'll, career, I'll, but- I'll, gi- I'll give you a couple of examples of what I'm talking about. Yeah. So he has a very acute understanding of the things that the audience are willing to go with. Sure. But in retrospect, in light of the twist, seem crazy. So I'll give you the example I'm thinking of is Bruce Willis meets with Haley Joel Osment mm-hmm. almost entirely on location. He walks down streets with him. Mm-hmm. He goes to the girl's house with him, to Misha Barton's house with him. Churches. He goes to churches. He goes to a school. He is almost entirely in other places. When you're watching that movie the first time, yeah. that doesn't seem that weird to you. That's really weird. Yeah, That's yeah. not how therapists meet children. 
That's a really weird thing. But when you're watching yeah. it, you just kind of go you with it, it because Knight understands that if you set the relationship up in a certain way, the audience will go with it. But in retrospect, it's, it's crazy, crazy and it makes sense. In the context of the twist. Yeah. So there's these things that are just hiding in plain sight all yeah. movie that should have hit you as really weird. But he has a really great understanding of the kind of things yeah. the audience are willing to go with. There are other things like he does really simple things that in another movie, and I'm going to talk about some fucking twists I hate. But in, in another movie, well, it would drive you nuts. But in this movie, it doesn't seem like a cheat. For instance – there is the uh, the stuff with the basement door where yeah. we're having this podcast from, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, the first time he goes, to, you know, there's the there's the big line with Haley Joel Osment that explains a lot of it. They see what they want to see, mm-hmm. right? Go see what they want to see. That is all you need, right? They're making the rules for the ghost. That's fine. In the moment, he goes to open the door. Uh, it's not locked. He just can't open it. He goes to kind of fuddle with his pockets, which is exactly what he would do. Cut before he can't get Cut his key. Cut before he can't get his key. Yeah. And we never show the, the mm-hmm. desk because we don't see it because Bruce Willis wouldn't see it. We've done the work. Yeah. We think he used his key and went downstairs. Yeah. He never says that to mm-hmm. us. There are all these little things that I think some people might feel manipulated up, manipulated by, but I'm kind of amazed how not manipulated I felt. Yeah, I mean, it's – it's so funny because, you know, we do, obviously we talked about how successful this film was. And, and I remember seeing it in the theater. I remember my friend telling me to come and see it with him. Andrew Palkovic uh, took me and a bunch of friends. I was like, you got to see this movie. I, it wasn't even on my radar. You know what I mean? Like Bruce Willis at that point was kind of a bit of a shrug to me. He had a huge I – mean, This is when he came back. Well, Armageddon was the year before. So, I mean, obviously he was kind of back in, in a lot of people's minds then. But mm. Bruce Willis, I've always kind of – I either really, really like him or I kind of shrug. I don't, I never hate him. But that being said, I was like, okay, sure. I didn't know this movie. It didn't mean anything to me. It came out first week of August, as we'll talk about in a second. But I sat down in the theater and I was like, oh, this is pretty, this is moody. This is well shot. This is cool. Um, did not see the twist coming. Kind of blew me away. Neither did I. I mean, I was like, damn, that's fucking cool. And, and everyone was kind of talking about that twist. And then you get Fight Club coming out in October a couple months later and another twist ending that people were talking about. Um, but far more sort of like intellectual and metatextual in the way that that was sort of done as opposed to this, which is a pretty straight twist. And this movie lives and dies with its, its twist. Right. And the Fight Club twist, frankly, I don't even think about when I think about that movie. I don't really either. So. But – I, I wish, but I almost, it is still in my on my list. I almost wish it wasn't there. Frankly, like I think it. I'm not saying that that Tyler Durden should have been his own guy. That's not what I really, really what I'm getting yeah. at. But uh, you have to do so many, in my opinion, so many um, explanatory gymnastics in that movie yeah. to suspend your disbelief of that about twist. what happened. And I can, of course, of course, as as a fan of that movie and someone who kind of roots mm-hmm. for Fight Club because I think the ideas there are so potent. Sure. I'm willing to forgive it a lot. Yep. You don't have to do any mental gymnastics here. Well, this movie's classical in its in its execution in a yeah. lot of ways. I mean, I, I think that I remember before Signs came out, you might remember this too, there was a, a Newsweek or a Time Magazine cover with M. Night Shyamalan on it that said, the next Spielberg. Mm-hmm. God, that's so interesting. And I think to myself when this movie came out and this thing was such a gigantic success and you look at 
how he's, and I don't think he's stealing from Spielberg necessarily, but there's very much a Spielbergian vibe to this film. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think to myself, like, yeah, like the pressure this fucking guy must have been under. Like, this is the this is the most impossible movie to follow up, in my opinion. And the reason, and he'll, and the reason he never has. Uh, there, there's no way until the Shyamalan Shyamalanaissance right now. <laughs> Well, because I think he's he's taken a turn towards the the B movie, he's taken a turn towards the the uh, the, the Blumhouse of it all, and I think that which is smart. And I I I, th- I thought Split was fun, uh, and I'll see Glass, Glass, sure. yeah. And I liked Unbreakable. Um, I didn't. I, I thought Unbreakable was cool. I, I I truly never liked another M Night Shyamalan movie. Um, I I saw Signs in the theater, and it was it was fun. I'll never watch it again, but it was it was a fun ride. That was kind of the end of my time with M. Night Shyamalan. I, I mean, I've seen The Happening. I've seen Lady in the Water. And these movies are basically unwatchable. But So I, let, let's do a quick Shyamalan uh, rundown. So he makes two movies before this. He makes a movie called one, well, okay, yeah. Praying. Yeah. It was called Praying with Anger. Praying with Anger, yeah. And what was the other one? Uh, Wide Awake. Wide Awake. Neither of them made much of a dent. No. Um, he makes this movie. This movie is, I believe, like a six million dollar spec sale or something like that. It's a, sigma, it's, it's a huge spec sale that was bought by um, Barry Mersol, Barry Mendel. Sorry, yeah. it was a three million dollar spec sale, right? Which, and, he, which was sold on the first day it was up for sale, which is kind yes. of insane in its own right. And part of the deal was he gets to direct it, right? Um, and he also got Bruce Willis with it. Bruce Willis was in his three picture deal we've talked about before with, I believe it was the kid in a movie called Broadway Baller, Brawler, which, got, which, which went into turn around or he got shut down. Yeah, I don't know what fired. happened with that. So he got, she got basically shoved into this movie. Yeah. Which he didn't want to do. No. That's a purpose. It's so funny to think of Bruce Willis in 99. He's like, well, I already got the story of us. Yeah, I've got that. In the I'm going to win an I'm Oscar an for that. <laughs> and I'll do this stupid ghost movie with this guy who did like the, you know, Rosie O'Donnell movie last year. Fuck. Um, so. He, so he he does this movie, and, yeah. and obviously this is in in this incredible year of movies that we have devoted a whole podcast to. This and the Matrix really do stand above. They as they they made these filmmakers in a really amazing way. You know, there's a blank check podcast. Those are the two movies that got those people yeah. hundred million dollar blank checks for ever. They well, Shyamalan went on and made three hundred million dollar movies. Yeah. And the Wachowskis, I think, are on their sixth, and they never make money. Yeah. So it's pretty crazy. Th- it's pretty crazy to think th- there's about no the, one like them. Well, it's it's, it's <laughs> crazy to think about the launching pad that these two films are, and and I think that it's. I mean, listen, I love Blank Check. It's one of my favorite podcasts, and I think that there's those two filmmakers, or technically three filmmakers, are were given such carte blanche for good reason, considering how out of nowhere, staggeringly successful these two films are. But then if you look at these two films kind of in a vacuum, it's no surprise necessarily of the careers that have, that they have spawned. If that makes sense. Like I look at them and I'm like, yeah, no, that makes sense. It makes sense that these filmmakers who kind of came out of the ether, incredibly visual, incredibly visceral, very sort of like popcorn, but, infused with intellectualism and all that sort of stuff that if you give them the chance to do whatever they want, they're going to give you speed racer and they're going to give you the happening. Like at some point they're just going to take these swings. Like that's kind of, it's obvious that they're those type of filmmakers. The the thing with, in the best way, the thing with Knight, my friend Knight, 
and this is the second night movie we've done. He, of course, did a rewrite on She's All That. Yeah, no, of course. We, we, but, we talked about um, my The thing with Knight is he started writing more and more like a desperate man. Oh, yeah. Um, and every subsequent movie yeah. up until uh, – I never saw the, the movie he did, the, the, like the Grandma's House movie. Oh, I didn't see – oh, yeah, The Visit? The I never visit, saw The Visit. Which I believe kind of brought him back – Critically, yeah. a little bit because it was and then, the Blumhouse. It was on. It was on the cheaper side of very things. Very cheap. It, it did made well, a lot of money. and it was unique. And then Split was a very big movie for him. Yes. Like literally resurrected his career. Um, but by going back to the well a little bit, but yeah, a little bit. Yeah, um, smartly though. I have yeah. to say, when I saw Split and that ending happened, I was like, "Kudos, well yeah. done." I, I tip my hat to M Night for figuring you know, out a smart way into it, it. Also, it's clever that he he recognized that there's a really big cult following yeah. for Unbreakable. Yes. Um, I don't understand it personally, but there are people who are super crazy about that movie. Really smart people who I respect. <laughs> like Griffin Newman? Or Pat um, Oswalt. Yeah, Oswalt. Like, wrote- I think it's comic book people a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think that there's a, obviously a, a, a love for comics in it. It's a pretty obvious one. For sure. Um, I think it's I, – I, I respect that movie um, – Visually, I think it's really interesting. I think it's uh, it's a surprisingly contemplative movie. Like, I think people just think it's boring, and and I understand people that think it's boring. Like, not a whole lot happens in that movie, and, and weirdly low stakes. And, yeah, for a movie that you know is about, you know? about train terrorism, it's weirdly it's weirdly low, low stakes. stakes. Yeah. Uh, so I understand why it's not. I mean, again, I haven't rewatched it in a long time, but I remember seeing it in the theater and being like, "This is an interesting blank check." Like, this is an interesting follow-up to The Sixth Sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but he still felt like he had to throw a twist in there, yeah. and he felt like he had to throw yeah. a twist in. Which is unfortunate. Signs, and it's a tough... It, yeah. it, Both up, those twists are not great. N- Signs is terrible. Um, Water. The the Village is a great twist, but what are you going to do? The Village is a crazy movie. It's a bad, long slog <laughs> with a, a cool-ass <laughs> twist. <laughs> it's like cool-ass, yeah. honest twist. And yeah. we'll... I, We'll get to twist at the end. I do want to. You want to do some context? Yeah, let's, on this? let's just do that. Let, let's just do this real quick for the five people that haven't seen this movie. Uh, the synopsis is young Cole Sear, a little on the nose with his last name being Sear. Sear, but anyway, uh, played by Haley Joel Osment, is haunted by a dark secret. He is visited by ghosts. Cole is frightened by. Cole is frightened by visitations from those with unresolved problems who appear from the shadows. He is too afraid to tell anyone about his anguish except child psychologist Dr. Malcolm Crow, played by Bruce Willis. As Dr. Crow tries to uncover the truth about Cole's supernatural abilities, the consequences of client and therapist are a jolt that awakens them both to something unexplainable. I love how desperately they're trying not to reveal the twist of this mean, movie. I mean, it shouldn't be that fucking hard. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing some gymnastics here. Uh, Six sets opened on, on uh, August 6th, 1999. Uh, M. Night Shyamalan's 29th birthday, which makes me want to kill him because that's Jesus. Anyway, so it's uh, even worse. He played a doctor in the movie. There's no such thing as a 29 doctor. I mean, he's, even... he's not bad in this movie. He really, he's so he's bad fine. in signs, but he's not bad in this movie. He, did you see Lady in the Water? No. Yeah, you should watch this. I actually never saw that movie. You should see it. It's, it's something. He plays a writer who's going to save the world. Oh. No joke. Again? Again. Yeah. Uh, so Sixth Sense opens on August 6th, 1999 in first place with $26.6 million against The Thomas Crown Affair, Mystery Men, The Iron Giant, and Dick. Mm-hmm. Quite the weekend. Uh, it would go on to gross $672 million worldwide on a $40 million budget. Uh, it has 85% on Rotten Tomatoes. Literally incredible how much money this movie made. <laughs> like, and what's also incredible is that both of the companies that made it, Hollywood Pictures and Spyglass, no longer exist. Yeah. 
and how that's possible considering the staggering sum of money that they must have injected into their but anyway, to their coffers. But uh, Sixth Sense is 85% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics and 90% from audiences. It's an audience movie. It's definitely an audience it's movie. A, you know, and, and it's funny because you were saying you could never replicate the experience of watching this movie again for the first time, of course. Yeah. But if you think about the famous twists in movies, um, those, some of those movies are the most rewatchable movies of all time. Like Shawshank sure. is one of the most rewatchable movies of all time. Usual Suspects. I've seen those these movies. I've seen dozens of times. Yeah, I don't consider Shawshank a twist. I mean, I know we what could you're talk saying. about the Shawshank thing. Which- Shawshank is different because Shawshank. There's only a small portion of the film, really, that's dedicated towards what he's him him digging, or or whatever you want to call it. Sure. Um, this movie. It's the whole thing, which is, again, I don't mean to belabor the point, but for me, when I watch this movie now, and the scenes specifically, the scenes between him and Olivia Williams, I'm completely disengaged from it because I know what's happening here. And I feel bad because I think Olivia Williams is giving a fucking great performance, not to say that Bruce Willis isn't as well, but it's just, it, it, it's, well, Those scenes are, are flat to me. Like I can't, I can't really emotionally engage with them because I know the magic trick that's going on. There. So I always, all right. So I always loved magic. Yeah. Um, as a child, and I still love magic to some extent, but uh, I can't watch a magic show anymore without trying to figure out how it's happening, <laughs> sure. which is not fun. No. Right. Uh, I, that that is how I watch those scenes. Mm-hmm. That's how I watch a lot of this movie, um, and those scenes in particular, and I'm. Again, struck over and over again at all the ways in which Knight was able to have scenes between those two people that didn't feel like he was withholding emotion or he was actively manipulating the audience. There's this the totally perfect agree. scene at the Italian restaurant. He walks and he says, "Well, yeah." First thing he says time. is, "You know, I thought you wanted to be at the other Italian restaurant. I wanted. I asked you to marry me at." Which is a great line. It's a great line. I'm exactly with them. I understand he's late. I, I understand what's going through his head, right? And she looks down the whole time. She doesn't yeah. pay attention. I understand. It, it, the whole, the emotion of it works perfectly from both sides. And her just saying happy anniversary at the end. Yeah. Nails it. Because I get why she said it in, in retrospect. I get why he feels it. And in the moment before you know about the twist, that seems exactly like what a person would – a passive-aggressive thing mm-hmm. a person would say to their lay spouse on their anniversary. I, I, I'm not, I'm I, smiling I, because I'm just so amazed by how well the twist is concealed and revealed. Um, I guess what I'm saying – and again, like I'm not – you know that I'm not disagreeing with anything that you're saying. Like again, this closer is closer than I thought we'd be to be honest. I, I'm, it's, it is a very, very well-made movie um, and – Watching it again last night, you know, and, and I watched it probably, I don't know, three, four months ago as well, apropos of probably blank check with Griffin and David, but it is, it's a very, very, very good movie. And I'm not trying to take anything away from it. I, I, I guess for me, certain movies can live with the twist. And some like movies can't. I mean, I think The Usual Suspects is an example of that, where you know the twist, um, and yet somehow, Maybe maybe part of it too, actually, now that I think about it, is the genre that it exists in. Because I guess I'm just – I'm not a horror guy really and, and I know this isn't really a horror movie. So it exists in a genre that maybe I don't find as 
thrilling as the crime caper that exists within the usual suspects or whatever genre fight club exists in, um, you know, or, or the prestige, which is another one that's on my list of, of favorite twists, which again, doesn't really feel like a twist movie to me. Like it's, it's a magic trick movie and it's, it's, it's a reveal movie, but like Nolan kind of goes out of his way to take the piss out of his twists as much as possible. I don't know. I think that's a twist. Okay. I like that I, twist. I do too. Uh, but my, my, I guess my, my, my broader point here is that I found myself – there's a scene in this movie that makes me cry every fucking time I watch it, which is the scene at the end with uh, Tony Collette and him yeah. when he basically tells her about his gift. So you think and it's the end of the movie. You think it's the end of the movie. Uh, it is unbelievably satisfying uh, thematically, emotionally, all the characters – like that, that to me is like that screenwriting 101, mm-hmm. what he accomplishes in that car with those two people. Uh, so this movie is is I'm not emotionally disengaged from it at all. I think there's just portions of it where I see the strings and I find myself just being like I, I just I know the trick. You, yeah, that's not the movie's fault. I know. Um, I'm just telling you why. But it doesn't have a 99 like you're going to give it at the end of this. I'm not going to give it a 99. I'm, I'm, I'm going to listen then 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 you then then I then I I think we I might be thought, closer than I thought. Okay. We're, I think we're going to be pretty close. Okay. Um, is there anything we? Well, yeah, I want to talk about the the. Um, so Ebert gave it three out of four stars. Mm-hmm. Um, said the Sixth Sense isn't a thriller in the modern sense, but more of a ghost story of the sort that flourished sure. years ago with ordinary people glimpsing hidden dimensions. At the end, he says, "I have to admit, I was blindsided by the ending. The solution to many of the film's puzzlements is right there in plain view, and the movie hasn't cheated. But the very boldness of the storytelling carried me right past any crucial hints and right through to the end of the film, where everything takes on an intriguing new dimension. The Sixth Sense has a kind of calm, sneaky self-confidence that allows us to take down a strange, intriguing path. And I think that's, you know, that's ultimately what we're saying here, which sure. is the sheer balls of this movie carries it through. That and." phenomenal performances. Like I think that I think Bruce Willis puts in one of his best performances in this movie. Haley Joel Osment mm-hmm. is obviously incredible. It's, incredible. Uh, it's, it's, it's a shockingly nuanced, amazing performance from a child. Um, and as I said, I think Olivia Williams is great. I think the MVP of this movie is Tony Collette though. Um, I think Tony Collette is amazing in this movie. I, I think that she, to me anyway, she gives the whole thing a real pulse because she's a she's a real person. I I like kind of I, I half agree with you. Okay, I think everything you said is is true, and I think she does elevate this movie beyond uh, a simple movie about a twist. Because she's not supernatural. No, you know what I mean. She's like, a, and I'm not she's saying a mom who doesn't know what's wrong with her kid. Right. Like it's she's really just, she's, it's really she's hard. Wearing her heart on her sleeve. Yeah. She's playing it beautifully. Yeah. Um. You know. I, generally speaking. I sometimes get I sometimes I get my back up a little bit about like blue collar interpretations of that, but mm-hmm. this is a very very good one. It she feels real. She doesn't feel like you know Helen Hunt in Pay It Forward, for instance, or Helen Hunt in As Good as It Gets, for instance. Like oh, that God, stuff. She did it twice. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that she's just so good in this movie. And Olivia Williams obviously isn't supernatural, but she is folded into a supernatural part of the film. Mm -hmm. And, and obviously Bruce Willis is a ghost and obviously Haley Joel Osment can see ghosts. So she's, she is the human part of this movie to me. And, and I don't, again, best supporting actress category that year was fucking crazy. It was. Is she now at the top of your rankings? 
I don't well, we still got a lot of movies to watch. <laughs> I just yeah, I and I want I want to say one other thing. Yeah. It's it was unbelievable then, it is more unbelievable now that it was Donnie Wahlberg. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Like I He's just great. He is He's great. Incredible. You know, sometimes an actor who isn't often given the chance to do something different mm-hmm. will get the opportunity to do something different. Mm-hmm. And you are blown away by what they're, I mean, what they're capable of. Like yeah. kind of famously Monique in, uh, in Precious. Sure, sure, sure. Like that to mm-hmm. me was, where the fuck did that dimension that come, come from? from? Yeah. Um, and it's same with Donnie Wahlberg here. Mm-hmm. It, it does make me think that the great majority of working actors are much better, better than, than they're allowed. Can. Yeah, that they're, they're they're given the chance to show. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I, I think that part of that just has to do with the fact that, you know, as we can both attest to, uh, every writer is noted, everybody's noted to death, mm-hmm. and most things turn into applesauce. And actors then have to portray that applesauce. You know I mean, that they yeah. have to. They have to. You know, but not the case here. Not obviously, the case here. you know, which and is I, great. And I do believe Knight had final cut on this movie as well. I don't understand how he got the deal he got, but I mean, it's amazing because the script's so fucking good. And UTA is obviously a tremendous agency. What a tremendous agency! <laughs> it's too bad you're not there anymore. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so, speaking of just the business side of things, uh, so the Disney executive who bought this script. Uh, David Fogel didn't bother to consult with his superiors before paying 2.25 million for the rights to the Sixth Sense. Wow! Uh, and agreed to let Shyamalan direct the already expensive movie. Uh, and he was fired, he was fired for it. Reminds me of Lloyd Braun getting fired after he greenlit he lost. fucking Lost, Grey's Anatomy, and Desperate Housewives. Housewives. And the next year he's gone, and the network is saved. I mean, it's just it's crazy. Yeah, it just goes to show that. And and I, I also want to say too, like this is not a swing to me. Like this isn't that great. It's a really good script. It's a really good. It's script. a really good script. One and maybe of the they overpaid. Biggest movie stars in the world. You know, but they they really didn't. Well, ha- he got fired for buying the script. Well, they didn't have a lot of. That's fair. They didn't have a lot of. They didn't have very high expectations for this movie. You, you no, know, they this dumped movie was it. dumped in August. This movie came out, I believe, after Blair Witch, right? Yes. So it came out after Blair Witch, which, of course, you know, I I, I contend this is not a horror movie. And this is not. Yeah. This is not a a competitor yeah. to Blair Witch. Yeah. But I think optically, people think that that those two movies are both within the same genre. Totally. So the genre had already been turned on its head by Blair Witch. Yep. On top of that, The Matrix came out, which is which was as forward-thinking, forward-looking as any movie that had ever been made, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. this is a very old-fashioned yep. movie mm-hmm. that could have been made in 1970 or 1950 yeah. or 1930. Mm-hmm. There is absolutely... I can't think of one special effect in the movie. Can you? No, none come to mind. I mean, truly. Yeah, I mean, it was it was also dumped on Spyglass as well. Um, you know what I mean? Like this mm-hmm. was a film that Disney didn't even want to release proper. Like they were just like, "What is this? We're gonna we're they literally kicked it off to Hollywood Pictures and Spyglass, thinking that it was nothing." I mean, they, it, it's 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 crazy to think about how off they were about this movie, um, but you know, it's 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 a fucking great movie. Uh, so, I think that there's there's kind of a bunch of things that that came to mind as I was watching it again last night. The first is that nothing in 
M. Night Shyamalan's career up until this point would show that he would have this firm a grasp of tone. Um, and, you know, this movie obviously cements his visual language basically for the rest of yeah. his career for all intents and purposes. And I think, I think it's shot beautifully. Attack I Fujimoto think, fucking shot the hell out of this movie. When you look at the the, the credits at the front, yeah, they 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 crewed this up with well, some he of the picked great crew, some of the best people. Absolutely, in, great score yeah. from James Newton Howard. Yes, uh, you know, obviously Attack Fujimoto, who who famously did a lot of Jonathan Demme's movies, mm-hmm. uh, most of them, if I'm not mistaken, Sons of the Lambs. You see a lot of Sons of the Lambs in this to a certain extent, just in terms of the the, it's more the palette com- of it's it. It's more confident than that movie. It every, is every, composi- every composition. Yeah. Well, but that might be, well. that also might be that M. Night Shyamalan let Tak Fujimoto off the chain a little bit more mm-hmm. and let him kind of do what he wanted to do, maybe. maybe. But it's, there's a lot of handheld in this in a way that's very interesting and very jarring. It's done in a, it, it's a beautifully, beautifully executed movie. And not to take anything away from M. Night Shyamalan, but you, you do feel like his below the line was really killing it on this. Mm-hmm. Um, and for him to have the confidence maybe to let them do what they need to do. I, I obviously don't know the inner workings of the film, but it's also produced by Kennedy Marshall, which is also yeah. interesting. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I also love that apparently Tony Collette uh, was in New York city auditioning for bringing out the dead. And she auditioned for this as an afterthought, basically. Wow. Um, I'm assuming it was for the uh, Patricia Arquette yeah, role. Yeah, must have been. Um, and she, I think she would have been great in that as well. But um, I think that's, I think that's really interesting. I, I think Did that, you see Marissa Tomei was considered for the role. Yeah, it feels like a Marissa Tomei role it too. Does. It does, you know? and she would have been great too. She would have been great. Yeah, I mean, Bruce Willis. You know, it's very interesting when he shows up, and you can tell when he's showing up. Yeah, you know what I mean. Kind of like Nicolas Cage. Exactly. Yeah. And this felt like, I mean, it's, it's a nuanced and tender performance from him mm-hmm. in a way that, in, that we don't see very much. Um, he's, he's got just the right amount of edge, although he does have some lines in it that are a little jarring, like cheese dick and like yeah. saying bullshit to, to the kid. Like there's yeah. somewhere just like, you said the S word. What are we doing? What are we doing? Um, it, the, <laughs> There, there are some like a little nineties, ninety ish relics like cheese yeah, dick and yeah. that kind of thing. But, uh, but you know, I, I watching that movie, watching this movie, um, I, I know he was kind of plugged in there, yeah. forced in there. Yeah, there's something so perfect about tough guy Bruce Willis totally. toning it down and playing a child therapist. He's, he's a, to me, he's a dream child therapist. Right, like, like yeah. for a, for a young boy mm-hmm. to see a guy like that who's will, who's willing and ready to listen to your problems and talk to you that way, and yeah. and he he has a I, I love his character. He has a different tactic every meeting for how to get Cole's guard down. Yeah, um, whether it's the trick with the penny, or whether it's the step forward, step back, or whether it's the shitty shitty uh, bedtime story he tells yeah. about himself. Yeah. Um, that turns into a good bedtime story about the two of them. Um, he, he's, he's just really, it's just really well written. It's, it's really a, it's really a screenwriting masterclass in terms of writing a Hollywood studio movie. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think that's extremely hard and extremely valuable. I, I fully agree. I think that, that Bruce Willis shows a sensitivity in this movie that he doesn't generally show 
you know, he's usually a hard ass and he's usually, you know, saving the world from an asteroid or something to that effect. Or trying to be cool, like in Story of Us. Or trying to be cool in Die Hard or whatever it is. Like he's, you know what I mean? Like that's just Bruce. And that's not trying to be cool for a second. He's not trying to be cool for a second in this movie. Yeah. Which is surprisingly unguarded, surprisingly, you know, um, open hearted. It's, and you talk about the, the, uh, there's, there is a childlike quality to his performance in this film as well. It's very, it's, there's an innocence to it. Now, a lot of it is because he's talking to a child most of the time, and, he, and, and the impression I get is that he wants to connect with him. But still, like, there's a real he's kind not of, patronizing. He's not patronizing. Uh, and, and also, how difficult it is to play against a kid, and vice versa. You know, you don't want to seem patronizing. You don't want to seem as though you're coaching the kid or you're coaxing him through scenes and performance. And it never feels like that, which it could have. I mean, again, can't stress enough. This movie only works because of Haley Joel Osment. If you had the wrong kid in this movie, this movie doesn't work. And it's a testament to how good he is that he's going toe to toe with Bruce in these scenes. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, and there's a lot, like this movie, think about how many scenes he has with Bruce Willis. It's crazy. There's, there's something about that kid's face. Yeah. You know, there's just, and of course, he's more than just his face. Mm -hmm. But, I think the kid who played Tommy Tomasino is hysterical, right? Sure. The his Jelly yeah, yeah. Jawsman's frenemy or enemy, yeah. who, nemesis, who, nemesis who does the <laughs> cough syrup ads. Yeah. Yeah. If you put that kid in Haley Joel Osment's role, and that kid, I, I'm pretty confident can act. Yeah. If you put that kid in Haley Joel Osment's role, the movie's a disaster. He, there's something about the way Haley Joel Osment looks, looks yeah. and feels. He feels like the kind of kid who yeah. ghosts might go to. Well, I mean, Haley Joel Osment apparently read the script three times through before auditioning for the role. Yeah. There is a a full-bloodedness to the way that he approaches this movie. Yeah. Where you're just like, he feels lived in. He feels like he is this kid. And he, he buys in. I think you, I think the, the story was always, he's preternaturally yeah. talented and intelligent. Yeah. Right, and he really approached this Absolutely. approached this role the way a grown up would approach this yeah. role. He's not just being fed lines on set. Totally, um, yeah. It, it, I mean, it's also interesting too because I remember when um, when AI was announced, you know, a couple oh years later. God. Um, I love AI. Me too, and I love him in it. He's so good in that movie because you really feel as though he's giving a thousand percent of himself mm-hmm. to this role, and a role that's incredibly difficult mm-hmm. and 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 i mean that's that's a movie that is divisive at best but again you see just how um you just can see the machinations in his head you can see him actually living these experiences which sounds easy but to think about doing that in short bursts over the course of, you know, however many takes, over the course of however many months, to be in that spot, you know, this movie, I think this movie was shot in sequence, if I'm not mistaken, which I think was, a, was I think so, um, which was to help Haley Joel Osment, I'm assuming, because for kid actors to jump around in the, in the chronology yeah. is, is difficult. But again, just a masterful performance, you know, really, really impressive stuff. Um, it's really cool when... It's not great for the kid, but it's really cool for Hollywood mm-hmm. when you find a kid actor mm-hmm. who's capable of this kind of performance. Because then you can make AI. 
you know, you can't make that. And it it happens every once in a while. It's, uh, it's kind of happening right now, kind of with the kid who was in room and then he was in wonder Mm -hmm, Jacob mm -hmm, Tremblay. mm -hmm. Um, and that's a cool thing that you can make a movie like wonder and, and really focus it around this kid who has an incredibly difficult role to play. Um, and then, you know, it happened with Dakota Fanning for a while, which is, which is Fanning for a while. L Fanning. I think L Fanning's great. Yeah. Um, I just Rory Culkin. Well, every Culkin, it's all the Culkins, every, all the Culkins, all the Fannings, all the yeah, all the Culkins, all the. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it does. It does feel like, yeah, it's 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 interesting. Uh, I just shot my episode of of, uh, of Station Nineteen. We yeah, had sure. A, we had a, a little kid, a little girl, uh, who had two lines essentially. Um, I think she's seven. If I'm not mistaken, something around that age. Uh, and to sort of see someone at that young age tap into this thing and know that they have this talent. Like, she, she was very good. I thought she was, you know, she was adorable at the very least. But uh, it's just very interesting to see just a, a talent to do something, a gift to be able mm-hmm. to sort of turn something on and off, even at a very young age, and an understanding of – it requires, I guess – maybe the best way to put it is an understanding of yourself yeah, and how you exist, which I still do not have. Yeah, I'm exactly period. Like Like, I, I, so to see a seven year old have, have that understanding is just shocking to me. But anyway, um, there's a lot of Catholicism in this movie. I'm not not sure what it's religious stance is, And I'm curious if if you have any thoughts. on. I don't think it has a religious stance. Okay. Um, I do think it has a character in Cole, who is searching for some way to ward off these demons. Uh Um, And that's why he's stealing all the figurines and the Jesus stuff. Sure. Um, And it does happen to take place, I think in a Catholic school, at least partially. Yeah. But um, I, again, yeah. yeah. But again, like I don't think it's overtly, excuse me. I don't think it's overtly any, I don't think it's, uh, I, I don't think there are, hidden meanings anywhere. I don't think there's anything allegorical. I don't think there's anything subtextual. I think it is all on the surface. Yeah, I mean, I can't disagree with that. Yeah, I really yeah. do. And that makes, in its own way, that kind of makes it hard to talk about. Yeah. You know, I'm actually weirdly, I mean, just, you know, yeah. warts and all, I'm, I'm finding it hard to find a lot to talk about with this movie yeah. because, like, it is all right there. Yeah. Basically, everyone who's ever seen it likes it. You know, you kind of have to be a contrarian asshole yep. to not respect it. Yep. Um, it's, yeah, it's it's a weird movie in that respect. I agree with you. It's I'm you know we're gonna talk about the plot, but again, like the plot of a movie that made almost seven hundred million dollars worldwide is a plot that most people know. So you know we're not gonna do a huge deep dive into it, but it 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 it's it's funny the way you say that because it's true. Like it's all kind of there. It's very 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 well done, mm-hmm. and you you can't really dispute the ability that it takes to make this movie. And yet at the same time, uh, there's not a tremendous amount of depth to it. There's no depth to it. <laughs> that is the reason it is not a 99 for me. There's no, yeah. and I, I mean, just furthermore, over the course of doing this podcast and over the course of the last few years, just writing and thinking. Yeah. Um, writing and thinking. The writing and thinking. <laughs> thinking and sometimes writing. Uh, yeah. I, I have a I have a lower regard for these kind of movies than I used to. Yeah. Um, these used to be my favorite kind of movies. 
right? I, I'd say around this time, 99, late 90s, uh, my favorite movies would have been Shawshank Redemption, Usual Suspects, Seven, Fight Club, This, uh, Sixth Sense, just a movie that didn't have a twist that wasn't even, even frankly, Field of Dreams, which has a twist. Yeah. Um, um, I, I can't think of a movie that would have been at near the top of my personal list that didn't have some kind of twist um, because I thought that was really the height of filmmaking for a really? long, for a long time. I thought that was pulling the wool over people's eyes. Yeah. I, th- yeah. I thought the magic trick of it huh. was what constituted a great movie going experience and something that didn't have that couldn't possibly rise to the level that something that does. That's interesting. These days. Yeah. Um, I still like twist endings, but they are a little boring. Ultimately. Well, I read an article to that point that I think is interesting where they say that this movie ruined the twist ending, the idea of the twist ending for us. There aren't a a lot of great twist endings. There just aren't. Um, and, And I don't necessarily know if that's because of M night specifically and his attempts to follow it up and a lack thereof. I don't know if it's that we're too jaded as, as audience members now. I mean, I, I it's funny. I, on many occasions, I find myself sitting in the writer's room as we talk about, you know, various things that we can do to try to, you know, that are exciting. And, and I just kind of say to myself, like, have we seen it all? <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know, you know, there, there's the Ryan Murphy camp of, of television and, and movies to a certain extent of just being so audacious and so crazy that you can't possibly see it coming. But part of that lacks, you know, platforming and tracking in order for you to be able to emotionally feel that twist. Mm-hmm. More times than not, than not, it's just a shocking thing to have a shocking thing happen. Sure. Which and, I would say isn't a twist. Right. Right. If you're, it's, it's not satisfying. Right. If you're making a, a sudden As left satisfying. turn. Yeah. Um, that's just not a twist. That's just, that's just a story move. Right. But, if you're just going to hit me with something way out of left field that I couldn't possibly have seen coming. Right. It's, it's, in its own way, satisfying, I guess, which is that you're like, holy shit, well, that was crazy that that and happened. And what happens next? And that's right, but it's that's not, it's not episodic television, right? Yeah. That's what we do, right? Unfortunately. Uh, what, how does it trend? How do you get people to, to talk about it? Because you need sure. a thing to happen. Yeah, at the end of the season of the show I'm on that we just wrote, we, we almost had a bake off on what could be our sure. final twist. Sure. Because it was a twist reveal. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we did our best. And yeah. I, I frankly, I really love what we did, yeah. and um, I may have won the bank off. But, <laughs> but I, I mean, to, to your point, and I think what we're both kind of saying here is twists became less important to me as a viewer and as a writer than creating emotionally satisfying characters so that whatever happens to these characters, I care. And I'm invested. 100%. And if something happens to them that maybe I didn't see coming or is or is shocking in some way, great. But – Ultimately, that's all that matters. Everything else is smoke and mirrors to me. And that's why I look at the style of television that, is, that exists to a certain extent right now, where it's a lot of like, look at the birdie, look at this thing that happened. Holy shit, this crazy thing happened. And we're all talking about it for five minutes and it evaporates from the zeitgeist and it evaporates from our lives. Is not satisfying to me. Mm-mm. Like, I want to be invested. And I think this movie does a very good job of having its cake and eating it too, of being invested in these characters emotionally and also having the twist, which makes it impossible to follow up in its own way. Like, I don't think that anyone's ever going to do anything as impressive as this. I went on a website to see, you know, best twist endings just to see if there's anything I was missing. Sure. And it's all stuff that you're like, yeah, I mean, I guess Gone Girl has a sort of has a twist, but it's not really a twist. 
you know? Well, the twist comes like the end of Act One. But yeah, it's it's that she's still alive. Yeah, um, and it's a twist, and like yeah, yeah, it's great. You know, like Sh- I think God Girl's Sharp great. Objects has but, a great twist, I guess, sort of at the end. All right, like uh, we we should actually talk about that. But yeah. um, uh, Gone Girl, yeah, I like more than this movie, and it is I not because definitely of, agree with that. It is not because of the twist. I don't even think of the twist when I think of that movie. Yeah. I think about the ending, which yeah. I love. I think of. Like, yeah. we're, we're, well, that's a dissection of marriage. <laughs> yeah, I think the bold. I think the bold yeah. move in that movie is not having her still be alive. I think the bold move is having Affleck stay in the marriage. I know. Like that's so crazy, crazy and thrilling and <laughs> allegorical. And you know, I think that that more and more what I what I really respect in television and film is uh, a, is kind of a, a sensory and a mo- and an emotional continuity. And yeah. honesty, yeah. As opposed to um, an attempt to rehash real life. Like for instance, uh, you are you? Did you watch all of Atlanta? Are you up on Atlanta? I'm not fully up. I'm sorry. Are you, did you watch season two? Well, that's my point. I've only watched half of season two. Did you watch the German episode? The one where they yeah the, uh, where they go to that like the weird German thing Oktoberfest yes. situation. Yes, yes, yes. That it's a I, great episode. It's a great episode, yeah. right? And there's so many great moments yeah. in that. And that episode obviously flies with the. Donald Glover and Zazie Beetz relationship. Which I love. Which is great. It might be Zazie. Um, but uh, what I – and what I'm talking about is like this Oktoberfest thing is so ludicrous. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But it's not supposed to be the way it really is. Yeah. It's supposed to be the way a guy like Donald Glover feels like going into a, yeah. any party yeah. with a bunch of white people. Yeah. You know, where all the rules yeah. are different. And yeah. when he wins the game by just putting the balls yeah. into the jug, uh, and, yeah. and all the people are like, you've never, I've never seen that. How did you do that? Never did it before. <laughs> the, it's just, it's just a way of saying the rules are different and they're impossible to know for him. Um, sometimes good, sometimes bad. And I, I, it's a really long way of saying that kind of storytelling is kind of thrilling to me now. I agree. Finding some, larger truth within your story it's kind of the kind of storytelling in six sense wonderful for its own thing it, it is no longer the highest level of storytelling i mean it's it it's yeah but I, I yeah it what it's doing is doing so well that you can't help but be impressed by it and you can't help but be taken away with it and and it's a very very enjoyable movie um but but to your but to our, our earlier point like it is surprisingly superficial do you want to, you want to, yeah, we can talk about the plot. You want to talk about plot? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, one other quick little, uh, piece of trivia that I love, uh, is that Bruce Willis learned to write with his right hand. So he became ambidextrous oh, as really? to not give away the wedding ring reveal. Oh, which I think is fucking great. Ah, that's clever. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so even though I don't think people would have noticed. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. 
What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Yeah. I, I think people... I, I respect that he did it anyway. Me too. I think it's great. But yeah. Because obviously his hand was in view at some point in the movie. Right. It also explains but, why he's he's writing in such a weird, strange yeah. way. His handwriting is so uh, like, like, weird. Almost like a lefty. Yeah. Uh, so the movie opens um, with a really beautiful shot of the light bulb glowing as, as uh, someone's turned the light on to come downstairs for uh, um, Olivia Williams comes downstairs for a bottle of wine, if I'm not mistaken. Right. And yes. uh, they're celebrating um, Malcolm has got an award from the mayor for being a child psychologist or something to yeah. that effect. Um, and it's a really nice scene. Again, like this, this movie is surprisingly showy and not showy at the same time mm-hmm. in a weird way. Um, I love that we fall in love with them in a, you know, at night in a kind of sleepy kind of we're going to have sex. We're a little bit tipsy kind of. It feels very lived in. It's a very interesting way to meet them. It's not in your face. Do you Com- know what I mean? Yeah. And a couple of things in that scene. One. Uh, Olivia Williams is literally spewing his backstory. Yes. And it doesn't really bother me. Yeah, you don't even notice it because yeah. it's so the way it's shot through the award beautiful. which is a which is a mirrored a mirrored yeah. kind of plaque. Um a lot of great reflections so in this movie. So clever. Yeah. The way they are positioned in the frame. Yeah. Um where you're really getting to know and fall in love with these two together. Yeah. So clever. Describing Bruce Wilson the way they're describing him as the yeah. greatest child psychiatrist in Philadelphia, that in and of itself is kind of a new thing. Um, so that – and and uh, the other thing I wanted to say was they do this really kind of bizarre Dr. Seuss speak. Yeah. That, she know, calls him out on. Yeah, yeah. In a worse movie, it would be like you're just trying to give them something. Yeah. But in this movie, it's just a cute little thing. Yeah. You know? And it really works. They just – they feel like they've been together forever. They yeah. feel like they're just so f- familiar and comfortable together that you are lulled into a sense of, you know, it's all going to be fine. Like, and not not to get too personal, Uh-oh. but there is no when you're with, when you're with a with a person for a long time. <laughs> yes. So I have been with a person for a long time who I love very much. Um, there is no tearing of the clothes off. Right. It yeah. is almost always it almost always starts kind of silly. And that's what they're doing in the movie so well with the silly undressing yeah. and her silly dancing that yeah. I think someone who hasn't been in a long relationship might be like, that's kind of weird. No, 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 no. That's, that's how what, it is. That's like a, that's a good version. <laughs> that's what it looks like. You know, there's always a, a bit of yeah. just you've done it. I've, I have three kids. So <laughs> like you've done this forever. Right. So, uh, so I, yes. I, I, I th- it feels very real to me. And – you know, there's not a lot of screen time dedicated to it. I think that this entire probably seven minutes, ten minutes, something to that effect yeah. before he gets shot. But it, it lulls you into a sense of of, of safety and security. Uh, and then Donnie Wahlberg shows up. Or, well, more importantly, a broken window is revealed. 
uh, and Donnie Wahlberg's in their bed in their bathroom, and that reveal even the way that shot again, like this is again, I don't know who to give credit to. I'm going to give it to both of them, but but the way that M Night Shyamalan and Tak Fujimoto reveal things in this movie is done in just an eerily enough way that it's just very unsettling. Yeah, and it's not. There's a couple of the like. Meh, music things which i don't love but for the most part the reveals are done visually in a way that is very unsettling yeah and that just see you see him so briefly the first time that you're like what the fuck is going on yeah like it feels like a like a, it's like like a, a for- feral animal it's like in the foreground right and you, well it's very it's it's literally the perspective is pov of somebody looking in the bathroom and darting back. oh sure like, yeah and it's like when it's like a fucking raccoon or a feral animal had like somehow snuck into your, into your bathroom. Which is kind of what Donnie Wahlberg's like. giving off. Yeah. And he has this really bizarre dialogue. Yeah. Um, like it's very vague too. I was a little yeah. bit, a little bit like, I wish I understood a little bit more about why this guy is doing this. Well, you do at the end. No, I understand that. But I mean, I mean why he's killing Bruce Willis, like why he's lashing out at Bruce Willis is a little, it's still a little unclear. It's just like, yeah. you didn't save me from my, from my problems. Sort what of his problems. They saw ghosts. No, no, no. So <laughs> they saw dead fair. people. Yeah. yeah, it's fair. Um, his, his dialogue is very weird. Yeah. That would have been a problem for me if the whole movie was as stilted as, as his shit. Sure. But he's just one character. The rest of right. the, the rest of the dialogue in the movie is, is pretty naturally flowing. Yeah. Um, Tony Collette's stuff is really net for the most part. She does have some really weird lines too. Um, she has some clunky lines. It's just some clunky lines. Like, look yeah. at my face. Yeah. I, I'm, you know, do I, I'm not very mad. Like, I don't know about that. There's so, but, he, well, yeah. I mean, it's, this movie sucks. <laughs> <laughs> there's, just, there's just, there are moments in it where it's, here, I think this is maybe the better way to look at it. There are moments where you see future. M. Night Shyamalan, the guy who's overthinking some yeah. of his stuff and he's putting words in people's mouths that doesn't feel natural. Most of this does, but every now and then you're like, no, oh, okay, I can see where we're going to go. That's right. That's exactly right. It takes you out so, of it for the moment. It's unfortunate. But um, so Donnie Wahlberg comes in, shoots Bruce Willis before killing himself. Um, and another then, great shot to pan. Yes. Pan across the room. Donnie Wahlberg puts the gun to his head and then you just hear it. You just off hear camera. the gunshot go off. Uh, and then a really nice, if not somewhat metaphorical, heavenly shot above Bruce Willis as he's, uh, you know, holding his clutching his stomach from the gunshot wound. And then we flash forward a year later and we see Bruce Willis is sitting on a park bench outside, uh, Haley Joel Osment Cole's apartment. And, Immediately, you see, like, if you know the twist, you see a kid who's afraid of Bruce Willis. Couple of things, though. <laughs> uh, that's worth. Always, um, you know, like you kind of have said over the course of the podcast, I'm always looking to see if I've been misled or manipulated. Sure. So the title card is The Next Fall. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Totally. I, right. Like, totally. I totally buy it. Like, it, yeah. it just, it's, and it's kind of like a, Vague enough, gothic-y way yeah. to move the story forward. Yeah. Seems totally appropriate. The other thing that I love. And enough time that you don't question the, the gunshot wound. Right. Yeah. Well, well, you don't know. It could be the next, it could, it could yeah. be the next season. Yeah. You, you don't know. That's what I mean. Yeah. But yes, exactly. Yeah. Knight understands what the will, what the audience is willing to do to suspend totally. disbelief. The other thing that I think is really cool is obviously, Anybody going into this movie is going to have a sense this is a ghost story, mm-hmm. right? 
he gets the people watch ads and trailers. Uh, Bruce Willis is sitting across like a, like kind of a gardenish area from Haley Joel Osment's house. The door opens. There is a good long beat before anyone comes out of the door. And it's just, you could just kind of see the black open in the door. And I, you, you can't help but think like, is there a ghost who's going to come out now? What do the ghosts look like? Mm-hmm. What kind of ghost story is there? You know, and it's a, just a little moment that takes you, uh, puts you on edge that I think he, I, I do. I think he plays the audience like a violin. It's, it's remarkable to me. So it's, it is. I mean, I, I, again, I agree. He understands it incredibly well. He understands, he just understands the audience very, very well, at least in this movie, <laughs> at least in this movie. Right. Um, so, uh, and I would also argue she saw that <laughs> as would he. Apparently. Yes. Right. Uh, so yeah, I mean, he basically, it's, it's becomes pretty clear that he wants to help Cole, um, as, I don't want to say penance, but he feels bad about Vincent, which was the, the character that Donnie Wahlberg played. And he sees an opportunity to be able to, uh, potentially help Cole in a way that he was unable to help Vincent for, for lack of a better Yeah, that, and that's explicit. Like yeah. he, he keeps both of the notes on him at all yeah. times. Like yeah. it's, it's pretty, they both have, um, they both have like, a, a white spot in their hair. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like, what do you, what would you call it? A shock, a white shock. Yeah, shock. which, you know, obviously seems to be some shorthanded indication that these people can see ghosts. Yeah. It's not the best, but I mean, it's I'm there. I'm fine with it. Yeah. Uh, we then have a, a great moment and a, and a moment of how this movie does some of its camera trickery is um, the breakfast scene. What's wild? It's fucking fantastic. So basically, uh, Tony Collette is um, making breakfast for Cole. She turns around and then essentially, and I guess they did this quote unquote in camera, which is that she turns around and then turns back around. She leaves the room. She leaves the room. She comes back in. She goes to the laundry room. She's gone for maybe, maybe 10 seconds. Which is crazy to think of. Of the crew all having to open a bunch of fucking closets and you know, cupboards. I thought about it. I love I, it so I'm much. I'm guessing the way they did it yeah. is that that was a stage. Yeah. And everyone's pushing from the outside. Oh, you mean they're they're popping them open that way? From the Oh, so all the backs of the cupboards the were open backs, and they popped. That, that makes sense. I think – Maybe. I, I can't imagine sending – also, you hear it. Wouldn't you hear it? Unless they just drop no, the sound. No, they actually dropped the sound. But I can't imagine sending <laughs> five guys in there and pulling them out in 10 seconds. I could imagine just having the backs and yeah, pushing maybe. them out. That, that's a smart And way not everyone is out, which – Most of them, though. They, they do their best. <laughs> <laughs> you got to get this all in a one shot. It's, it's a really great shot. Yeah. It's, it's, by the way, it has to be a one shot. Yeah. It has to be a one yeah, shot. Yeah, yeah. And good for them for knowing that. <laughs> if it's not, yeah. you're taken out of it. Totally. It's, it's also just – it's kind of a perfect visual metaphor for the movie. And like, that's the movie in a shot for me, which is Cole hunched over on this, like just his body tense, knowing what just happened and knowing that there's no way for him to hide it or explain or it. explain it. And the mom just being like, what the fuck just happened? Yeah. It's great. It's fantastic. Uh, so then, um, I'm just trying to sort of figure out. I yeah. love that. His, you know, my son is named Cole as well. One of my sons. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love his name is Cole. There's yeah, some, it's I, great. I, yeah. It's I, fantastic. I, I'm proud of all Coles. <laughs> all Coles all the time. Yeah. Uh, and then I guess, um, 
basically he can, I mean, ultimately at this point, I mean, is, I mean, I don't mean to jump around, but he tells him that he sees ghosts at this point, right? How, wh- when do we get to the hospital? Oh, that's, that's really the midpoint turn. Okay. So I'm trying to remember sort of if there are other things that, that, that yeah. happen over the course of the, this kind of first the mom act. is worried it's about a, his social skills and all that sort of stuff. And that, and, yeah. and he goes to school and he, he, uh, has this issue with the teacher when he calls him Stuttering Stanley, it's Stuttering Stanley. Great I always scene. love that scene. Great you scene. find out that the school used to be a courthouse, a courthouse where they, where hung, they hung people, people <laughs> yeah. and the lawyers and lawmakers were doing the hanging. Yeah. Um, which is another great, great little, yeah. great little twist. And, uh, another point to be made is, you know, it's kind of a coincidence that it's set in Philadelphia because Knight is f- famously from Philadelphia. Yeah. So it's all shit in Philadelphia. Yeah. But Philadelphia is the perfect city. It is the most gothic city in America. Yeah. I went to school there. Um, it, it, you know how some cities like Los Angeles, Los Angeles feels mostly like they, they built it in around the 1920s and 30s. Yeah. They gave it a facelift around 1978. And then for the most part, they stopped building yeah. it, right? Philadelphia feels like it was built in the 1700s and 1800s and they just have done a good job scrubbing it clean (laughs) for the last 200 years. You know, whereas New York feels like a very modern city and Boston feels like a pretty modern city. Chicago feels pretty modern. Chicago doesn't feel like a, like a Gothic city at all. If you got the Gothic, um, features in Chicago. All of Philadelphia is this, you know, red brick. There's a church on every corner. The streets are very narrow. It's very green for a city, um, in terms of, you know, foliage, but, uh, it's a perfect city to be inhabited mm-hmm. by just tons of ghosts. <laughs> just <laughs> ghosting. Ghost town. Ghost town. Um, uh, we also have a moment where, uh, Malcolm witnesses a guy hitting on, uh, his wife. Yeah. Um, or, or witnesses an interaction where he shows up at their place and says, like, hey, want to go to Amish country? Go to Amish. It's super weird. Uh, I went to school in Philadelphia. No one ever went to fucking Amish country. But <laughs> So that guy basically. She's like, I love it. She's like, I don't think I can deal with the Amish today. <laughs> <laughs> it's like an off-screen yeah, it's line. Like, I it's, don't know the Amish. <laughs> <laughs> really? Also, you're trying to get it. It's, it's a weird way to try to, to yeah. get her to date you. Um, but. But Malcolm witnesses that from the basement, and that's when we get our classic keep walking cheese dick line. And cheese dick has like some weird pent up aggression. He starts like hitting yeah. his car because yeah. like he, he almost goes back in. He doesn't go back yeah. in. Then he like pounds his car. Yeah. It's, like, I, it's like, maybe like, I, like in retrospect, I want, I, I want her to move on. I think Malcolm wants her to move on. I think it's very clear that that's the end of the movie. He's like, I want you to have a wonderful life with yeah. a new man. They should have made that man a man that a is, man that you might want is to be worthy with. of yeah. her being with. What's weird about this line to me, other than obviously that the, the nomenclature of cheese dick sure. being weird, uh, is if you think someone's hitting on your wife, you wouldn't say that. Like, wouldn't you go upstairs and say to your, I mean, obviously you'd have a conversation with your wife or whatever, but it, it's, it, it's, I guess my point is it's said in a way that almost feels like he knows that he's dead and that he doesn't want his wife to be with this dude. Does that make sense? Well, you know what I'm saying? yes, but I'll, I'll make the, you know, suspension of disbelief yeah. point. Um, there are moments in a marriage where you feel like, um, one bad interaction might be really bad for the marriage. Okay. Right. Okay. And I think that's the, I think that's the, the kind of t- 
tone between them throughout the whole movie, not knowing the reveal, which is, I feel like Malcolm feels like, yes. Like if we had, if I go up there and and accuse her of cheating right now or wanting to cheat. That's a very good counter argument. That really might be the end of us. So I think that's where he's coming from in that moment. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, so Cole, uh, then you get the scene in the classroom, uh, with stuttering Stanley. Uh, then Cole goes to a kid's birthday party because the mom, Lynn is trying to sort of get him to be more social and get him out there. Mm -hmm. And then he's locked in this like small closet sort of situation by those fucking asshole kids. Um, who didn't know he would be locked. No. Explain to me the locking mechanism. I'm a little like, Oh, it's something with the ghost. Oh, it's a ghost. Though. Oh, yeah. Some, okay. some, there's some kind of ghost situation inside okay. of there. And like, there's the, there's the use of red in the movie. Yes. And the idea is like, when this is explicit on Wikipedia, I think it's pretty explicit in the movie because everything's explicit because there's nothing fucking subtextual. <laughs> but the idea is if like, if there's like ghost interaction yeah. in a place, there's red. Yes. Right? So. Like his tent. Yes, his tent is obviously all red. With the sign, do not enter. Yeah. Like they're going to not enter because he's got a sign. I know. Did, Anyway, and Misha Barter did not agree, did, nope. did not adhere to that sign. No. So the, the, the little room at yeah. the top of the stairs in this place that has probably been around for 200 years, right. um, has a red knob. Okay. Just like Bruce Willis's office yes. slash wine cellar yes. has a red knob. Yes. So, um, so yeah, and then the door won't open when he's getting attacked by what must be ghosts inside sure. and it opens a, it opens itself. Donnie yeah. Collette doesn't actually. She can't get in. Turn a lock. Yeah. Yeah, she and her. Oh, the yeah. way she plays that. The way she plays that is so good. She's like trying, 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 and realizes and she it's futile, and yeah. she just stops and she gives yeah. looks back. And and no one has like, a key, what and what do I do? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's again a, a metaphor for her, you know, her yes. motherhood of this child, but she plays it so. She plays this role so heartbreakingly real. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, the slow mo that comes out of that is bad. Not good. Bears. I agree with that. <laughs> Worst know. moment of the whole movie. I don't quite know why it's even there, honestly. But anyway, um, so then M Night shows up as a doctor, mm-hmm. and it you know, it's what it is. Uh, and that's when Cole tells Malcolm that he can see dead people. Uh, and then, then there's. It feels like at that point. This is when Malcolm hears the tapes of Vincent and he turns up the volume and he can hear a ghost essentially. Yeah. Um, speaking in, in Italian or Spanish. Is it Spanish? I thought, Spanish. It, I thought it was Latin. It says help but... begging uh, a weeping man begging for help in Spanish. Oh. Uh, and it's, it is very interesting because then basically what I'm, what I'm trying to get to is I love that this movie at the hour and 14 minute point Malcolm gives Cole a mission and says, start helping the ghosts. Mm-hmm. Listen to them. The shittier version of this, that happens in act one. The shitty, well, I'm sorry, what? The shittier version of this movie is that happens in act oh, one. Oh, yeah, 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 totally. And I respect the fact that that turn happens very deep into the movie. There's that movie um, with Ricky Gervais, Ghost Town. Ghost Town, yes. Which is not a bad movie. Yeah. And Hearts and Souls with Robert Downey Jr. Well, I don't know if I've ever seen that. It's a good movie, actually. I think you quite like it. Ghost Town is that is it is the Act One version yes. where yes. he then spends the whole movie trying to fix ghosts' problems, right. like the and Ghost ag- Whisperer. Again, yeah, and again, yeah, I know. I, like <laughs> yeah. again, like Knight gets that we get that. Yeah. 
Like he gets that we don't need a fucking montage of Haley Joe Osment like fixing ghost problems. We need to see one really good ghost problem fixed, which we get. Which we get with Misha Barton's character. Um, well, I mean, although I guess it depends on how you, you know, yes. Right? I guess we're led to believe that he fixes that situation. Well, of, or at least saves that, the sister. He, and he, yes, and he, he, he does what the ghost wants. The ghost wants help, right? That's yeah. the idea. Bruce Willis says maybe they want help. Maybe you should listen to them. Yeah. So the, I think Misha Barton wants to save the sister and let the dad know what's been happening. Yeah. And you alluded to sharper objects earlier. Yes. And it wasn't until sharper objects Sharp, that I. Not sharper. I used to call it sharper things. It wasn't until sharp yeah. objects yeah. that uh, I understood what was happening in the scene. Do you understand now what's happening in the scene? I do. Yes. Um, I do. I would, I would say that I probably didn't in 99. We should have gotten a little more, to be honest. I, well, it always seemed super weird that anyone would do that. Well, that and also just the impression I get here is I don't want to waste a lot of time on this story. Do you know what I mean? Like that, that M Knight's like, I want to tear off the bandit and get this done as quickly as possible. And, and do you know what I mean? Cause there's the videotape and there's the, the confrontation and all this stuff sort of, ha- there, there's a lot of expositional stuff happening and machinations of plot happening for us to understand what's transpiring. And even then we still kind of didn't like you want, like he, he the father explicitly states you've been keeping, you were keeping her yeah. sick. And even in the moment that was like, that's really thing. until yeah, sharp yeah. objects it yeah. was like what like i yeah. guess but like there's the- a documentary too well i can't remember the name of it that's horrifying about this mother that was keeping her daughter sick it's a thing and that then her and her boyfriend killed the mom for those who haven't seen sharp objects it's a thing where it's called uh munchinson's yes it's called uh, Munch- munchinson syndrome by proxy by proxy yeah where caregivers so parents or other caregivers will keep a sick person usually a child but some kind of patient sick if they can and it's often by giving them some kind of they get off on the power dynamic power dynamic and the helping somebody and the needing and they need me it's i mean and it it, the 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 alternate version of this is phantom thread (laughs) yeah i mean i adore phantom thread and it's somehow coke you know somehow built into like a romantic thing yeah. at the end. um but uh i saw a q a actually after phantom thread uh and paul thomas anderson said that the idea came to him because he was sick one day and his wife maya maya rudolph was helping him and he's like i saw a glimmer in her eye as though she was enjoying the fact that i was incapacitated yeah and i was like whoa okay but uh so yeah, that's what I mean. This is obviously the much the the super fucked up version of this is a mother or a father, I guess, uh, doing this to their child in order to keep them sick. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, that is is it is not totally. They don't stick it totally. I guess is what we're both getting at because it's so, it's so esoteric. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That um, it, it's almost impossible for somebody who's not familiar with this yeah. particular disorder to understand that it's. It's common enough that it has a name. Mm-hmm. So, but that, all right. So that happened in the movie. So that that happens, and and it's it's kind of a real. It's a turning point it because is. it's it's a moment where Cole realizes, oh, this can be a gift and not a curse. It's also the end of the movie, essentially. It's basic. It, it's, it's the end it's, of the, it's action. the turn for for yeah. Cole because now he's not scared anymore. Then no. he does really well in the play. Help someone. Just, help someone. Now he's basically Malcolm. He's just helping people who come to right. him. And, and even just like, and him and the teacher are on good terms, mm-hmm. you know, after he sees him talking to the burnt lady. Mm-hmm. And like, it's all just sort of like, it's it's not a curse anymore. 
He's not scared anymore. I mean, that's literally what he what Cole says to him in the, one of their first interactions is Malcolm says, "What what are you hoping to get from our time together?" He's like, "Not to be scared anymore." Mm-hmm. And he's actually he's able to give him that, mm-hmm. and and it does feel as though it's what he was unable to give Vincent. So you know that page is turned. Yep. Um, and Cole says, yeah, "I'm not going to see you anymore, am I?" And Malcolm says, "No, you know, you're cured or whatever." And he says, "You should talk to your wife while she's asleep." Maybe that's a way that you can connect with her. Um, so he goes to his wife and talks to her in her sleep, and she talks back to him, and in this sort of unconscious state is able to sort of uh, connect. And she drops the wedding ring, and the other shoe drops, yep. and we figure out that he's been dead the whole time. Dead the and, whole time? I mean, it, it, it's – we'll say, too, like, I imagine – Part of the reason why Disney lost their potatoes when this script was bought for what it was bought is that you can see the shitty version of this. And if you're reading it on the page and you're thinking, if this is poorly executed, this whole thing is a wash. Mm -hmm. Like the high wire act that is executing this script is crazy. Yeah. And you see it in that final montage because to pick the right moments and to do – it could so easily feel like a Scooby-Doo ending is is basically what I'm saying. Where – and then this, and then this, and you didn't know it, but like, if it's done bad, you could make your audience feel stupid in the wrong way, and it could be goofy. I have some examples you know of some bad yeah. twists, um, it, but as it stands, more than almost any movie I've ever seen, it feels like something clicking into place. Um, it's an aha. It's an aha. It yeah. feels really good. Yeah. It's, it's very satisfying. If Bruce Willis wasn't dead the whole time, um, hypothetically, sure, this movie still kind of works, but it doesn't work because what happened with Vincent is irredeemable. And if he doesn't, if Vincent kills himself and Malcolm just goes on and lives and tries to cure the problem through some other proxy, that would not have felt ultimately satisfying. satisfying. But since he is now dead and he also solved someone else's problems and he did better the world that way, it's incredibly emotionally satisfying. So I think that's, that, that is, I wouldn't say subtextual, but I would say that that is, um, that, that is baked in, in a way emotionally that does make you feel, you know, a, a, a closure to this. I, I agree with that a hundred percent. I think it also feels very um, like, I, and this is maybe a, this is a stupid way to say it, but it just feels very cinematic the way that he executes it. Mm-hmm. It's it's done in a way that doesn't feel cheap. It doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like he's making fun of his audience. Some twists are twists just to be like, ah, I fucking gotcha. Oh, yeah. This movie is like, I gotcha, but you fucking liked it, didn't you? Like, it was fun, and we had a good time, and that, that I know that that feels, do you know what I'm saying? So let me, all right, so let's, let's move into the twist conversation. Sure, let's do it. There's a big difference between a good twist and a bad twist. Yeah. All right? And, and, and there are like a lot of examples of both, but the reason this is a good twist is because we find out when the character finds out. All right? And if you want to tell this story from Bruce Willis's perspective, that's the way this story has to be told. The twist is necessary. 
to telling this story this way. Very true. A really bad twist. A really, 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 really insulting, infuriating twist. And you're going to be surprised I'm going to say this because I do – I have liked this show in my life. Oh, that's interesting. This Is Us is one of the fucking worst (laughs) twists ever and I will explain it quickly as to why I – Which one? For the the pilot. Pilot. Okay. Okay. Think about what happened in the pilot. I assume everybody's watched the the This Is Us pilot because pretty much everybody did. What happens just really quick is you follow essentially five people. You follow um, Kate. You follow uh, Randall. You follow – I forgot what uh, the brother is. You follow the brother. Yeah, I only watched the first couple episodes. All right, so you follow three. You follow the three of them. You follow Mila Ventimiglia, and you follow Mandy Moore. Mm -hmm. All right, so Mila Ventimiglia and Mandy Moore are together. They are, and the other three are separate, right? They are, and you're kind of led to believe that there is some relationship between the between the four. Kevin, Kevin, you you, you're kind of led to believe that there's some relationship. You're following four disparate storylines. Yes, you're kind of led to believe that there's some relationship between the four of them, one way or another. You do know Kevin and Kate are siblings. You don't know anything else. Correct. And there are no indications the entire move, the entire pilot, that Milo and Mandy are actually. The parents Experi- of these, of these. Well, yes, that they're sorry. experiencing yeah. this in the set in the in the early '80s, right? Yes, they're hiding production value from you in a way so that you don't know where they exist. They're also dressed up to look like present day hipsters, right? And they are yeah. actually just in they they're, they're just um, correctly attired yes. 1980s people. So all of that shit, I can kind of like deal with in a sense. Mm-hmm. What's so insulting about the way this is delivered to the audience is there is no reason to tell the story of three triplets, essentially, and their parents in this way. There is no – and turns out the, the those two hipsters are their parents. There's no – why would you tell a story that way? You would never tell a story that way. Well, for the reason that you're about to – you know, The reason be, – be, because it's bullshit. <laughs> Because it's the only reason to tell the story that way is because you're you're doing a television show and you want to withhold something from the audience that's necessary in order to understand the dynamics of the show. So there's no reveal. There's no pulling the wool out from under. There's no, oh, look, the whole time it was this. There's just we decided to tell the story in a really stupid way only to hide something from you, only to get our pilot made. I really find that infuriating. And Dan Fogelman, God love him, did it in crazy, stupid love as well. He did. It's Emma, kind of his thing. Emma Stone is their daughter the whole time, and they're fucking talking about Nana the whole time, and they just so happen to call their daughter Hannah, Hannah Banana, and they shorten it to Nana, and you find out about an hour and a half into the movie, again, you would never <laughs> – who is telling the story this way? Who is the one who well, – it's, it's withholding information. So it's not – It's a, withholding it's, information. But uh, yeah, there, there's nothing artistic about it. There's you, there, there's no perspective. We could never have known this information is the thing. If you're seeing it from an omniscient point of view, mm-hmm. this is what I'm trying to get at. If you're seeing it from an omniscient point of view, yeah, you need to be omniscient. You need to see things that actually would happen in context. Yeah. Otherwise, your omniscient narrator yes is unreliable, and your omniscient narrator should never fucking be unreliable. If you want an omniscient, Fogelman, if you want, a, if you want an omniscient, narr- <laughs> if you want a, a, a unreliable narrator, yes. go crazy. Nothing cooler. But you gotta own it. 
You got to have one of your characters fucking do it. You can't have God be unreliable. That's so stupid and manipulative and unfair well, to the audience. But yeah, that, yeah, that's sort of his his bag. And I hope, I mean, just people should get wise to this. They shouldn't let themselves is, be taken by this shit. Well, I, I think that part of why it works, I mean, I watched the first handful of episodes of This Is Us, and I, I, thought, it was, I thought it was fine. I, I mean, I, I preferred it when it was called Parenthood, and it was written by Jason Kadams, and it was, you know, I like more a lot, emotionally resonant. I like, I like a soap. I like a And I like soap. a lot of what they've done. I think, yeah. I, I think, frankly, if they weren't so insecure about having to yeah. cheat the audience, it would be a much better show. Uh, yes. And I think it, the performances a, are amazing. Like I think there's I, a I lot the there. But, yeah. I, I think there's a lot of things that are really good. I, I what I think what you're getting at here is to do a twist well requires a level of confidence. Confidence. It's it it is no different than a, than a con. No different than oh, a yeah. magic trick. You have to have confidence in it. And if you don't, then in my opinion, you similar to this situation, you're kind of just hoping that you get away with it. And as a, as a viewer, I don't like that because that shows that you don't have confidence in what you're doing and you might not know how to do anything moving forward. And so, but I, I agree with you that that is an example of a bad twist. Um, should we talk about our favorite twists? First, we should talk about the twist that did not make my list. Oh. My list of 11. The, the Departed? Was that it? The Departed's on the list. Of favorite twists? No, of horrible twists. But there's no... <laughs> There's no twist there. I mean, I don't know why it's on every... What do you mean? It's all twists. What? Oh, yeah. No, there's... <laughs> there are no rats. They're all moles. What are you doing, Marty? Um, there are no rats, no moles. There are no rats, are no moles. What's it? What's... I, I saw it on the list rats of the best... And moles. I saw the list of the best, best twists. What do they think the twists are? The, the twists are like stupid story moves that make no sense. So basically, Leo gets killed by a guy who... There's, there's, there's no hiding in plain sight. Dies. There's literally no way for anyone to have guessed this we or got it. We have to do a bonus episode on The Departed Kenny. Fuck that movie. I really want um, us, I really want us we, to do it. We will. We will, of course. Of course. Of course. I mean, of course. So <laughs> I would also put there are a few, there are a few famous yes. uh, twists yes. from history that uh, – Historical that, twists? That, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no one saw coming. They're all historical. Rasputin, still alive. Who knew? Um, but there's uh, there, there, are few, <sighs> there are a few ones that, that would not make my list. Um Chinatown is one that always gets talked about yeah. as a great twist. Yeah. There's no twist there to me. It, it hardly affects our. It hardly affects yeah. Jake. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And it it it's not emotionally powerful. It is really just a left turn. The movie hardly changes. You're talking about the incest. Yes, she's my sister. She's my daughter. She's my sister. She's my daughter. She's my sister. It hardly it hardly affects the movie. Um. Ultimately, it I really mean, it, does. Yeah. No, I, I hear you. It's also yeah. We can yeah. I uh, Citizen Kane. Not a twist. Just a, just a reveal. Yeah, it's a, it's a sleigh. The whole fucking movie's about how this guy. Lost, yeah. The whole, yeah, this whole fucking movie's about like yeah. I. Yeah. Okay, so then not a twist. And who cares if Rosebud was a sled? Like people are like Rosebud, don't give it away. Rosebud was a sled. Fuck. I mean, like again, like it doesn't change anything. <laughs> Different for <me>. time. <laughs> fucking Orson. Obviously, Citizen Kane is incredible. That's but and <laughs> fucking Citizen, Orson. Citizen Kane doesn't live That's or die. Be our Orson Welles podcast. Fuck it. Just go fucking Orson. Fucking Orson. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, and then yeah. another famous twist which is monumentally problematic and fucked up these days you want to guess no the crying game oh sure yeah okay the crying game don't give away the twists he's a man this is a bad twist it's not a good twist this is a bad twist not a good look in 2018 bad not twist. a good twist not a good look at any time not a good look not a good twist it's a it's a, it's a weird movie i don't know all right i saw it at the time i thought i was like okay 
And then I also put a, a quote-unquote worth mentioning. So when I said I have 11, I really only have 10. The, okay. the, the honorable mention goes to the prestige. Okay. And I do like the twist, but the, the, the heart of the prestige yeah. is Hugh Jackman killing himself every night. It's incredible. To beat this. And not knowing which one's going to be in the tank. Is, is a, it's, that's a fucking amazing. It's beautiful yeah. because he has been out-twisted. By himself. And by, Christ, and yeah. by, by Christian you know Bale. I mean. like Christian Bale. But what he's willing to do, I guess, is what I'm getting it's at. It's an incredible it's a great movie. Yeah. Love and, that movie. So I love that. Um, yeah, that he got bested is amazing. You want to go with, uh, with Yeah, your, I, mean, I, didn't, I didn't really rank five? them. Uh, I mean, I, I'm just going to kind of throw – we talked about Fight Club. We talked about Usual Suspects. Both are great. Neither. Uh, oh, yeah. Usual Suspects is on my list. I mean, Sixth Sense, obviously. You know, we've talked about that. Um, seven, I think, is a good one. I love that movie. I didn't put it on the list. I don't really see a twist there. Um, I mean, I guess it's not a twist as so much that he's, they're bested by John Doe for, you know what I mean? And, yeah. and the, the, I guess the twist is the head in the box. I don't really see it. I just, <laughs> okay. it, that, well. to me, that's a reveal, right? Yeah. It, I, again, I'm not, I'm, you know, it's not, the, the, the movie is not fundamentally altered by that reveal. Yeah. You know, that's just a, that's just a, a great reveal. I'm going to say that the, pro, I don't know if it's my favorite twist ending, but it's definitely up there. And it's the only one I have left on the list we haven't talked about is Primal Fear. Primal Fear's on my list, very high. It's a great twist. Brilliant. And again, performance dependent. Fundamentally. If Edward yeah. Norton doesn't stick that, you know, and doesn't play him as the stuttering whatever, it's amazing. The clapping is just, it's like, it's so good. It's so fucking good. So I would amend my definition of the twist, hiding in plain sight, and also fundamentally alters the way you understand sure. the movie at the end. Yeah. So I would not include Seven in that. I do include Empire in that. I do yeah. think it's, to some extent, sure. I think it's hide, hiding in plain sight, sure. and I think it fundamentally alters the way you look at the look at that movie. Fair enough. Gone. So my number one wasn't Empire. It was Usual Suspects. Okay. My number two is Empire. Okay. My number three was Sixth Sense. Fair. Um, I mean, Usual Suspects is amazing. Usual Suspects is the, I mean. It's amazing. I remember sitting in the theater. Um, I don't know. I'm, I was 14, 13, 14 when that came out. I think it was 94. And just being like, wow. Well, it's the greatest unreliable narrator swat. in the it's, history of film. It's the it's like the that's the anti-Dan Vogelman. It's so simple to do this. Put your fucking character in the movie and have them tell the story. Then you can do the whatever best. you want. It's the best. Um, for Primal Fear. I'm okay. with you. you that movie fucking rules. It's great. It's a great movie. All right. So now I'm getting into some uh, some other ones that I want to mention that I, I love. Okay. <laughs> the Mist. Sure. Depressing. Such a good fucking ending. It's a brutal ending. So brilliant. So brilliant. Never seen anything like it. Uh, won't give it away. Yeah, don't. <laughs> because not a lot of people have seen it. I implore everyone, watch The Mist. It's really um, sad and depressing. Memento. Sure. Fundamentally un- changes yes, your understanding yes, of the whole movie. That's true. Uh, so I really love that twist. Uh, the game. Uh, a, a Nybart special. A Nybart's, the, the old Nybart special. <laughs> Loves the uh, game. I love the Great g- movie. I love the game. I love the movie. As Phil now, I've tried to make it as a comedy. Um, <laughs> Hilarious. I tried to make it the funny version, but, but the whole, the whole notion of this was suicide prevention the whole time really warms my heart. Have you watched the trailer for Escape Room? No, am I going to like it? You, I don't know. We should watch it after this, though. It's a horror movie that they just dropped a trailer for, and I was like, "This is this going to be good? Is this a Kenny movie? I don't know. Um, <laughs> and then, a then a few that maybe, well, you know, that might not, might not go over so well. <laughs> I think Saw is a great twist. Sure. I assume you've never seen it. No. But I think, I've heard the but twist. Saw's, to me, Saw is a remarkable, 
remarkable movie. Mm -hmm. Never saw it coming. Again, a lot like Night. Plays on your expectations of the genre. Yeah. Um, you never see it coming. Planet of the Apes is just a fantastic yeah, I mean, twist. Sure, sure, sure. It was a twist and all twist before yeah. 1990. It's the fucking best. And then I got a real out, real out there one. <laughs> scary movie. <laughs> yeah, okay. Honestly, like scary movie I think is so funny and so good. <laughs> what? And it has a twist. Do you remember the twist at the no. end? It, 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 uh, it's, Bernie does though. So it's, it's obviously a big spoof. Yes. And it's a scream spoof. Sure. And the twist is a usual suspect spoof. Yeah. And in no way do you see this twist coming. And it works so well within the context of this film yeah. at the end. So I think scary movies really okay. funny and I, also elevates the parody to another, to the another parody place. To another place. And smart. it puts a lot of, it puts a lot of uh, trust in the audience that these aren't just a bunch of dumb kids who came and you came because they like scream. And I know what you did last summer to, to, to hang the movie on this usual suspects twist. Is really, really fantastically done. Um, those are my twists. Yeah. So those are my twists too. Those are my twists. Uh, Do you have a twist on your zero ninety nine? Maybe. So, um, I mean, I like this movie going into watching it again. You know, I, I, I so pre podcast, I'm giving it an eighty two. Okay. Um, what's your what's your ninety nine ranking? My 99 ranking? When you first saw it. Oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, sorry. My apologies. Uh, I would say I probably actually liked it a little less back then. Yeah. I think I probably would have given it like a 78. Okay. Um, it was, I wouldn't say it was a shrug, but it was a movie that I was just kind of like, cool. I don't know. It didn't, it didn't hit me as hard as, and I certainly didn't expect it to become a phenomenon. Like mm -hmm. it did. Um, which might have made me keep it at arm's length as well. The phenomenon, I don't think, helped the movie for me. Hadn't watched it for many, many years. Watched it again relatively recently. Um, then I watched it again last night. Give it an 82 now. Post-podcast, it's, it's kind of a push. So I, you're like, sticking at 82? You're sticking at I mean, I'm going to go a little higher. I'm going to say 84 um, because, yeah, I think 84 feels right to me. We're not that far off. Yeah. Um, I, 99, I, I, I feel like I have to give it a 99. <laughs> I okay. do. I really, I haven't done this yet. You haven't. I haven't given anything in 99 going into it, but I, I think that that's fair. I think it's like, it's, it's a movie I would have put on my all time top 10. Sure. Within a, six months of having seen it. So, uh, that's, and, and as I said over the course of the podcast, I thought this was like the height of, um, movie or, making. Uh, movie making. <laughs> I really, truly, I thought yeah. I was like, this is as good as it gets. Um, so a 99, uh, after rewatching it, I took it down to like a still very high 92. Sure. Right? And I've seen this movie 300 times. Okay. Oh, more than almost any movie I can think of. This movie okay. is, you know, put, when it's on TV, I would pretty much watch it to the end for just years and literally decades at this point. 92, still very high. After the podcast, I'm just dropping it down just a little more, even though like I think it really was, I think it really is an incredible movie. Um, and I think 90 is a fair rating for a movie wow. still of this 90s. caliber. I don't see this making my top 10 at the end of the year. It was when we started. Oh, this. I know. Yeah. I don't think it'll make my top 10. I think we've done at least off the top of my head, three movies that I will put above it. Ed TV being one of them, obviously. Ed TV, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Ed TV, anywhere but here. Um, and the mummy. Yeah. But, uh, 
I think um, oh I, I, I look. I think this is a great movie. I think this yeah. is. I think this is a great movie that that just doesn't quite hold up against its contemporaries in 1999. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a weird movie. It's aged strangely in a for me anyway in a weird way. Like it's it's gotten better in some regards and it's gotten worse in others. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. It's it's a little weird. Well. Um, can we pause for just a second? And next week, <laughs> we're actually doing this right after. Right after, man. Yeah. yeah. So, so that was so, so that rare. was the sixth sense. <laughs> um, so next week we're gonna do uh, a movie that did not do quite as well <laughs> at the, as this movie me, in man. the theaters. Uh, outside Providence it did not do quite as well. It, as does, the it did not do quite as well as sixth sense. However, <laughs> it was written by a person. It was, it was written by a human. It was written by a person. A that we had being. in the studio. No. You're totally right. I totally forgot. Peter what I Farrelly? Thinking. We had Peter we Farrelly in here? I don't it's, know why. I, I think in my brain, I was like, she's a writer. She must have wrote this. Oh, you thought it's we had Emily in, in my brain. Emily wrote it? In my brain. All right. So this, like, Emily Fox, one of my favorite people on the planet Earth, creator of Hindsight, uh, executive producer of Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce, and a bunch of other shit, and um, tons of stuff. Really, IMDb or Emily Fox. But she came in to talk about Outside Providence, written by Peter Farrelly. Um, I love this movie. I think it's uh, it's not like The Sixth Sense. It's a very small movie, but, you know, Peter Farrelly From obviously. Gigantic to tiny. To tiny. Peter Farrelly obviously has done some of the greatest comedies, literally of all time, and super relevant right now. Yeah, it's a big movie right now. It's a big movie that, not unlike Sixth Sense, might be a middle brow hit. That follows him all the way to the Oscars. Like every once in a while, there's a – maybe every other year, there's a Hidden Figures or a Blindside, yeah, a middle brow hit yeah. that goes all the way to the Oscars. And it seems like Green Room – Green Book. Green Book. Green Room, very different movie. Green Room, very different movie. <laughs> Green Book with um, Hershali and Viggo Mort- yeah. Mortensen – may become an Oscar player, which is interesting because Outside Providence is probably the only other fairly movie that isn't an over, over-the-top comedy. Comedy. Yeah. So in that respect, there is some relevance to it. Yeah. Um, in and of itself, I love this movie. I just think it's a, it's a great movie, and I think Emily was a great guest. I, I concur. I had not seen this film prior to the, to the podcast, so I didn't really have a whole lot to, to base it on other than I remember the, the box working at a video store. Um, it's a, it's a it's a really sweet movie. It's a I really mean, sweet movie. It's, it's and and it, and it's funny that we're seeing, as you just mentioned, like Peter Farrelly continuing down that road. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to see Green Book. If you watch Farrelly Brothers movies, um, not all of them, but some of them, Outside Providence is obviously one. I would argue something about Mary is another. Um, Fever Pitch to some extent. You can see. Well, me, myself, and Irene has a pretty big heart too. Yeah, you Weirdly. can you can see that if they dropped the Stack. humor, and not to knock it. I also I also really like uh, like Stuck on You. Mm-hmm. If you if they drop some of the over the top stuff, there's always a strong through line, uh, emotional through line in their movies, and they obviously have some really great more serious stuff in them. You know, I mean, I liken it a little bit though. though their stuff will look nothing like his a little bit to Adam McKay, who's proven to be one of our best dramatic directors. He very much has. So if you're not uh, watching succession, you should be watching Su- succession. Succession, big short. And yeah. it looks like veep is going to be a big deal too. Vice, but yeah. 
Looks like Vice is going to be a big deal, too. I do this all the time. Um, well, next week, I would say Providence with Emily Fox. Uh, it's a great episode. Please uh, please tune in and check it out. And uh, I'm at PM Iskov on Twitter and Instagram. We're at Podcast Like 1999 on Twitter. Please rate, review, subscribe. Kenny is at Nybart. Um, Occasionally. From time to time. Uh, when he can stomach being on Twitter. Oh, my God. Yeah. Maybe after November 6th. God, Jesus, knock on wood. Which I believe Seriously. is the day that outside Pro- day after outside Providence is going to come out. Yeah, so, so something like that. So let's all. So well, you know, it'll be just... a different world. <laughs> Maybe, hopefully, oh, God. God willing. No, either way, it's either way. It's going to feel like either either we're we farther down the hole, chan- we stand a chance, yeah. or it's all over. So, Buckle on up. that note, <laughs> thanks for tuning in. <laughs> Later. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.